Welcome to the Collective Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.ca. So welcome family, um, live uh, from TBN Parktown North um, on this very cold uh, Sunday morning. Uh, somebody definitely has left the, uh, the fridge open. But, uh, and those of you that know me, you will know that this would be the first time that I've appeared on global television. So I, I trust that you would pray for me and just ensure that my head, this doesn't go to my head. But uh, what I want to share this morning, um, I often like to share things that I'm wrestling with, things that I'm grappling with, um, and I'm, that I'm working through. Um, because I think that when we do share from that place, you know, it's real, it's authentic, it's not just some scripture that I picked up and sort of plastered together for this morning to share with you, but it's actually something that I'm, I'm busy going through and I can see transformation happening in my life because of this. And so I'm really excited about what I'm going to share this morning. Um, it's, a, it's a true word for me and uh, I trust that it would be a true word for you. So I also tend to get a little bit emotional from time to time, so just humor me um, because I'm speaking from my heart this morning. So uh, about two weeks ago, uh, sorry, not two weeks ago, about two months ago, I woke up in the morning and uh, I clearly heard the Holy Spirit say, you're carnal. Now that's not really, <laughs> that's not really a good thing to hear about yourself. Um, and, you know, having uh, been saved in a Pentecostal environment, uh, you know, the poster boys of carnality are your usual suspects, you know, s sexual vice, sexual impurity, um, even big words like lasciviousness, which to this day I still don't know what it, what it means. Um, and just wanting to understand more about what the Holy Spirit was saying to me, I started just having a look in the scripture exactly what does that, that word mean, because that's... It's quite a serious word to hear about yourself uh, when you wake up in the morning, you know. And I mean, I couldn't believe it myself. Um, but I was led to a scripture in Romans chapter 8, uh, and it's verse 7. And it's, it's Romans chapter 8 has got so many incredible verses in them. And this particular one is probably one that we sort of skim over because it's not necessarily one that um, we often like to hear. But it's in this incredible chapter. And so Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, To be carnally minded is to be enmity with God. And, and to be in this carnal mindset, you, you cannot actually obey the things that God wants you to do. You can't align yourself with the plans and the purposes that he has for you. And so I had a look at what this word, this carnality word means in the Greek. And it's actually the Greek word called socks. And in its definition... Uh, it basically means the animal instincts or the animal nature and to be led and guided by your senses. So if we look at animals, the big difference between ourselves and animals is that we are made in God's image and that we actually, we actually carry spirit and spirit lives on forever. But an animal is not so. An animal basically has its senses which it needs to decide whether it's going to fight or flight or mate. You know, so it's one of those three, three things. And an animal uses what it sees or what it hears or what it smells to make those decisions. And so what I, what I really felt 
the Holy Spirit was saying to me when he said that I'm, that I'm being carnal was that I'm, giving, I'm being led by my senses. I'm being led by what I see and what I hear um, coming from, from externals. And so, you know, since the beginning of lockdown, um, I think everybody across the globe has been bombarded with, you know, th- um, news about how this pandemic is sweeping across the globe, how dangerous it is, how many people are dying, and also how the world is changing as we know it, how it will not be the same going forward, how, um, you know, there's sort of increased stress and anxiety and there is a greater um, sense of instability um, and which leads to fear and potentially hopelessness and I mean I know personally for myself is that there have been times when I've dipped in and out of this insecure environment where you've just been overwhelmed by all this information that comes at you which we take in through our natural senses and, you know, if we stay in that place, um, getting back to that scripture in Romans 8, it says, to be carnally minded is to be enmity with God. And that word enmity means to be in opposition. That if we are allowing our senses to guide us, those senses and all the information that we take in will lead us to a place of ultimate hopelessness. And in that place, state of hopelessness, we cannot align ourselves with the purposes of God. We cannot align ourselves with what He wants to do because we in effect have been neutralized because we're relying on our senses. And I just want to read, you know, what it says um, in the Passion, just to translate that. But before I get to that, you know, one of the central themes in the Bible is do not fear. And, um, and it's a command. It's not a do not fear or do not be anxious for anything, as it says in Philippians, or be strong and courageous. It's not a maybe. It's not do this if you feel like it. It's all please, you know, Holy Spirit pleading with, please don't be fearful. It doesn't have any of those terms and conditions at the bottom of, the, of those texts, texts. But when we are governed by our senses and led by our senses, I would like to propose to you that it is impossible for us to align with those scriptures. It's impossible for us not to fear. It's impossible for us not to be anxious. And so what that scripture says, we are almost in opposition, and it goes on further and it says, in fact, it is impossible for us to align with the purposes of God. And so in the Passion, uh, the Passion Translation, it says, in fact, the mind set focused on flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. So that's that's where I found myself, and um, and that's a pretty heavy way to start off with. But I promise it's going to get better. Uh, So recently, um, we watched a a documentary on Netflix. There's some incredible documentary, very educational documentaries on Netflix. And this particular one was called, uh, it was made by a company called Nova, and it was about black holes. And, it's, and it, the title was The Black Hole Apocalypse, which doesn't really sound like it's going to get better now that we're talking about an apocalypse, but that was the title that they gave to this thing. And it, it was incredibly insightful to watch 
um, this program on black holes. And there's been a theory since the 1950s that these black holes actually exist. But only up until last year was there, were they able to generate unequivocal evidence that these black holes existed. In fact, they were able to take a photograph or a, you know, a, a telescope, telescopic photograph of this black hole. And the problem that we've had up until recently is, you know, the most powerful telescopes on Earth, uh, you know, they, they operate on light that is reflected. And even the Hubble Space Telescope that was launched from the, satellite, from the shuttle in 1990 basically operates on light being emitted. So it can only pick up what we with our natural eye can pick up. But so there was this collaboration which, which is called the Event Horizon Telescope. And it's a, a collaboration between 20 different countries with telescopes all across the globe. But instead of operating on light, they work, these are called radio telescopes. And they basically take radio signals from outer space and through very sophisticated algorithms and computer programs, they're able to place, put this thing together and they were able to put together a picture of one of these black holes, which was about 300 million light years away. And, uh, and I think next year they are launching another space telescope called the James Webb Telescope, which would be launched from uh, a satellite and it will orbit the Earth but the difference between the James Webb Telescope and the Hubble Telescope is that the James Webb Telescope works on X-rays. And so it can pick up infrared light, which the natural eye cannot pick up. And what they've already found just with this Event Horizon Telescope is that they've been able to map out galaxies and vistas and the most incredible things um, that have always been there. But for the first time, we've been able to map those out and see these things and all their glory and their splendor. And while I was watching this, this felt the Holy Spirit say to me, almost, almost like coming in alignment with, with him saying to me, but you're carnal and almost saying, you know, you, by looking, by being governed by your senses, you're very much like a Hubble t a space telescope. You know, we can make decisions with the best technology and the best insights, but we are not seeing the full array of colors that have always been there. We're not seeing the full galaxies and vistas in the universe that God has always created us for, for us. And so in, in the context of that scripture, you know, to be carnally minded, I can't align myself with everything that God wants to do because what God wants to do isn't, being, isn't seen in the natural, isn't seen with our normal eye. It's not a conclusion I can draw with my intellect and by what I hear. So in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 12, we see Paul writing about an experience. And he, and he talks about this person in the third person. He said, 14 years ago, I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven. And uh, commentators believe that he was actually talking about himself. But what we can understand from the scripture is that he was referencing a third heaven. So by definition, there must be a first and a second. He also said that he was caught up. So it is a higher heaven than where we are. In that scripture, when you go and read it, you will, you will see that what he is describing in this third heaven is in essence the abode of God, where God dwells, where God lives, where God has his being. And it's pretty much our understanding of what heaven is like. So 
wanting to understand what the first and the second heaven um, means, I, I went and I did a little bit of research on the internet and uh, read some commentaries and stuff, and there are some really weird and wacky ideas of what the first and the second heaven are, but the most plausible explanations that I have read, and this is pretty much what I'd like to propose to you this morning, is that the first heaven is, is the physical realm that we live in, that we see, that we can actually touch and taste and, uh, and we can see. And the second realm is the realm, so when the, when the angels and the, and the devil was kicked out of heaven, they were kicked into this second, second heaven, which is basically where we battle. It's where the spiritual battles take place. And Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this, talks about um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness and high places. And it's almost like the second heaven is a spiritual realm overlaid, overlaying our physical realm. And as we know that there, is, there are spiritual forces that are, um, are active in, in our lives and around us and bringing about things to try and orchestrate. So when I'm driving in, in traffic and a taxi cuts me off, you know, my, my battle is not necessarily against the taxi driver. It's probably against things that are trying to incite me to violence. You know, right here. And those things are in the second heaven. And, yeah, and so, so what we find is that there is this real spiritual realm that we, that we do come against. And one of the favorite scriptures that we have in the collective and that we have preached upon, uh, preached on many, many times is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. And it says that we are seated in heavenly places. And that word for heavenly is very similar to the word that Paul was referencing when he was talking about third heaven. Is, is that we are seated in God's domain. That's what Jesus has done. He's, he's brought us to a place where we are operating from the presence of God, where we are operating from his domain. And, you know, I love to study uh, military tactics and history and, you know, how certain battles were won. And even a thing, even um, a great Chinese general like Sun Tzu, I think there's so many first, first heaven strategies that we can pick up from, from a lot of these, these guys. And one of the, one of the big uh, benefits in military strategy is what they call... Um, higher ground, having higher ground. So that's why you would find castles and Masada and garrisons built up on a hill. Because the benefits of having your fortress or your castle on a hill is that, number one, you have perspective. You can see the enemy approaching from afar off. The second big benefit to having higher ground advantage is, is gravity. See, if you're high up, gravity is your friend. If you low down, gravity is an obstacle. Because if you are coming up to try and attack my castle, now obviously this is ancient war strategy, because modern day we've got missiles, so gravity doesn't really come into it. But if I'm in a castle and you're wanting to attack me, it's very easy for me to roll big boulders down at you and throw oil on you when you're trying to scale the wall. And for you in return, because you are much lower down, you having to build your catapults and your siege guns, and you have to overcome gravity because you're lobbing uphill, which severely diminishes the effectivity of uh, your weaponry. And I would like to suggest that um, that's operating from the third heaven, which Paul referenced, 
is very, very similar. You see, we can try and fight uphill from the first heaven. From what we see here, we can try and fight uphill to the second heaven where the battle rages and where the enemy basically um, operates from. But it is so much more difficult. But what Jesus has done is he's seated us in heavenly places so we can actually operate from the third heaven. And again, Paul was saying I was caught up. So in my definition, first and second heaven are below third heaven. Because in third heaven, we are operating from the presence of God. We're operating from a place of security. We're operating from a place of gravity as our friend because we are not influenced by, his, uh, by the enemy's normal vials. Wiles. So recently there's been, um, uh, Carrie Job uh, uh, released a song called The Blessing. And I think it's a phenomenal blessing because it recounts the ironic blessing that God commanded Aaron to proclaim over the children of Israel. And we, we all know the words. Um, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. At the later part of that, and it's found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 to 27, a later part of that, God actually gives the reason why he's saying you must proclaim, the priest must proclaim this blessing over the people. And in essence, to summarize what he's saying, is he's saying, proclaim, you guys, you priests have got a mandate and the authority to proclaim a blessing over the people. Because by you doing that, the blessing will manifest and people will know that my name is upon my people. And so the evidence that God is their God is the manifestation of the blessing. And you will find that the blessing is entrenched in, in Hebrew culture because as soon as people meet, they would, they, would, they would greet each other with the word shalom. And again, in the past couple of weeks, we've heard definitions of the word shalom. And in essence, it's one of the most complete um, definitions of prosperity because it encompasses peace, contentment, fruitfulness, it, it covers all of those things. And, and so people would greet each other. And as they would greet each other, they would proclaim a blessing over each other. But the thing is that, that the thing that we do know from the Levitical priesthood, um, the high priest even, who would do his absolute best to, to um, comply with every one of the 1,627 laws that they have in the, in the Torah, he would fail in some of those. And every year he would go and he would make, he would go and he would offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people. But he was a fallible human being. But yet in, in all of that, with him being a fallible human being and even the priest being fallible and being human given to mistakes and error and sin, yet God still gave them authority and power to proclaim a blessing. So in the book of Hebrews, we see the book of Hebrews contrasts Jesus with the Old Testament high priests. And what it says in Hebrews, it says that Jesus, by dying on the cross, has won for us a better covenant based on better promises. And if we com compare the two, the Old Testament or the Levitical high priest with Jesus, this guy was fallible, Jesus was not. This guy had to continue to offer up sacrifices. Jesus did not. But yet, for all the weaknesses of the Old Testament, uh, of the law, all the weaknesses that 
these Levitical priesthoods were operating under, yet they were still able to proclaim a blessing which manifested, which differentiated the people of God from the rest. How much more us, new creations, brand new, transformed because we have received this final sacrifice once and for all, how much more authority and how much more of a mandate do we have to speak over people and to see the manifestation of that blessing? And to see, and again, the manifestation of the blessing is the thing that differentiates or that shows the world that God has put his name on his people. In, um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, um, it also says that, For you are, a, uh, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, called to show forth the praises of him. And I'd like to suggest that that is the New Testament equivalent of that number of scripture. Because when we show forth his praises and when we, when we experience his blessing, because we respond, ultimately, he loved us while we were still sinners. He initiated. But we respond, and as we respond, we become fruitful and we show forth his praises and I'd like to suggest that that is the thing that differentiates us from everything else because, and that's how we know that he has put his name on us. It's because we are fruitful and because we are alive. Mm -hmm. That scripture carries on to say, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So back to me and my original dilemma, um, after being told that I was carnal, which I, I'm still struggling to believe <laughs> actually, actually happened. I started just changing a couple of things. And one of the things that, um, there's a couple of things that we can do to just align ourselves more with what God is doing. doing. And one of the things that I think Auntie preached on uh, recently so well was just thanksgiving and gratefulness. But, and there's a number of things. We could, we could seek his face more, experience his presence more, because in his presence we are transformed. And there's a number of things that we could do, but one of the things that I started focusing on in line with um, this, this blessing, this, this, uh, this Kerry Job song that started sweeping the globe, is I started taking authority over certain circumstances. Um, you know, the thing is, like, if we are, if we are um, governed by our senses, by what we see and what we hear, we are going to become overwhelmed. And invariably, when we come before the Father, we adopt a position often of a beggar, you know, like, Lord, please, could you, please, would you? And we, we're not really standing in authority because we have got all this weight on our shoulders that's weighing us down. And we're not coming, f like, like in Hebrews it says, come boldly before the throne of grace. And so if we are operating out of these things, you know, our faith is diminished, our hope is diminished, and we're almost... You know, just I wish upon a star that God is going to do this. And we cry out to God, but we cry to God from a position of a beggar. And you know, the one thing, the one thing that Jesus did is we're not waiting for the cross anymore. We're not waiting for him to win that, vict that victory anymore. We're not waiting for the veil to be torn. The veil is torn and everything is finished. And I believe that so many times when we pray these sometimes hopeless prayers, I think the Father and Jesus standing in heaven and say, but I've already given you everything. 
I've already made the way. You are powerful. And it's the enemy that wants, would want to come and say, but what are you, little Christian, going to do against the might of everything that is happening in the world? What are you going to do about this pandemic? How are you going to make a difference? You're going to be swallowed. There's, this wave is coming at you. But Jesus, what he did was complete. And Jesus is standing there and saying, but I've given you everything. I want you to take authority. I don't need to come down on the cross again. You have been given this authority. And so if I look at the way that Jesus lived, because, you know, Jesus is perfect, perfect theology. You know, Jesus, when he spoke, he didn't ask, please. Like he would speak to a man that needed to be healed. And he said, take up your bed and walk. He didn't say, Lord, please, would you heal this man? He spoke to the circumstance. He would say, he would say even in Matthew 6, where, um, where he teaches us how to pray, he doesn't say, Lord, please give us our bread. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And I want you to understand the subtle difference between the beggar that comes and says, please, could you? And the confident son and daughter that stands boldly before his father and knows, or her father, and knows that if I ask of him bread, he will not give me a stone. Who knows that he is good and knows that he has called us to do certain things. And in order for us to achieve and walk into those things, he needs to empower us. In fact, he wants us to draw from him. He wants us to be dependent on him. And so Jesus even sends out the disciples and he says, go, I've given you, I'm giving you authority and power to take authority over circumstances, to heal the sick and to set the captives free. And that in essence is still our mandate today. It's for us to walk in that authority and in that power. And so how, how have I, how has it changed the way that I've lived? So I've started I've stopped begging, I've stopped pleading, I've stopped and I've started taking my authority. I remember uh, Curry Blake, Curry Blake is a guy that took over John G. Lake's ministry and he operates in phenomenal miracles. Um, and he basically said that, you know, as a Christian, we have the mandate and the authority, the same as the Levitical priest, but a new priesthood of the order of Jesus, that we have that authority. And you know, if you give a policeman, you, you make somebody a policeman, they have a badge and they have authority. And what Curry Blake was saying is he's saying, if we walk down the road and we see somebody breaking into somebody's house, as a policeman, I have the authority and the mandate to stop that injustice. And that is the same, that is the same mandate and authority that he's given us, that we have the same mandate and authority that Jesus had to stop injustices, to stop people being robbed, to stop people living in poverty or people living with a sickness and disease or, or living in a place where they are not totally healed um, in themselves and their emotions. And that is the authority we've been given. I remember, and you would still see that maybe not so much now, but when I was at school, we had a scholar patrol and there you have a 10 year old boy or a girl with a reflective vest, but a big stop sign. And that little boy or girl had the authority to stop a 16-ton truck because it wasn't their power, it was authority given to them by somebody else. 
And so the enemy would come to you and say to you, but you don't have the power. You don't have, you can't do this. But it's not our power. It's his authority that he has given us. And we are his ambassadors and we enforce that authority on the earth. And so one of my favorite scriptures um, is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. Um, and I'm going to read it from, from the King James. And it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Incredible, incredible scripture. Three things that he mentions there um, where he says the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his, our inheritance in the saints? And my favorite is the exceeding greatness of the power that he has made available to us. But if you go back to the beginning of chapter 1 verse 18, it says the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And I'd like to draw a parallel to my story about the black holes. You see, if our eyes are to be enlightened, it means that it was always there. It's always been there. These three benefits to us, being partakers of his divine nature, have always been there. But our eyes, Paul is praying that the Ephesian church, that the eyes of the understanding of will be enlightened. So they would see the fullness of that which God has for us. And I would suggest to you that it means that we would need to change our lenses because like the Hubble telescope, for all its glory and its majesty and how scientifically phenomenal it was when it was first launched in 1990, it could not see black holes. It could not see a lot of galaxies that were always there, but could not be seen because it was just operating on reflected light. It wasn't using advanced technologies like x-rays and whatever. And I believe that's what God is calling us to. You know, the, this, this lockdown has been... Um, I believe has been something of a shaking across the globe and it's almost like an epoch moment where God is able to do things so much quicker and so much faster that he could almost accomplish things that would normally take decades in a short period of time and I was praying we were praying uh, recently and I just had a picture of this dry barren ground hard crust and through through this hard crust, I started seeing like these little shoots and these were the, the sons and daughters. And we know in, in Romans chapter 8 later on, it says that the earth has been groaning and has been waiting for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God because we carry the authority of Jesus. Can you imagine if we had people operating in Jesus' power and his authority? You saw what he did, what, what Jesus did just he was limited geographically because of how he could walk. They didn't even use horses um, to move. They walked wherever they went. Now, if you take the globe and you multiply Jesus by, let's say that there are even 100,000 Christians that understand their authority and operate from the third heaven. Can you imagine what the earth would look like? And, we ha and I had this picture of the sons and daughters, and I believe that's exactly what's happening in this season. The tables are being turned and God is raising up sons and daughters who know their authority, who know what the, what the cross has won for us. And we start operating from that place. 
And so I want to be sensitive as well. Um, and I do understand that God has got, a, God walks a journey with every individual. Every single one of us is unique and no two of our journeys are exactly the same. There are questions that I, I can't always answer in the Old Testament um, or not just the Old Testament, but in the Bible where there's been delay, where God has made a promise and there's been a delay for whatever the reason was. But I, I'm starting to see a change in my life because instead of me being almost, not always, but often approaching God as a beggar, I'm now approaching him as, an, as a confident son, understanding what he has won for me and understanding the authority that is given to me. And so things... I can honestly say things have started changing. So again, many of you know our journey. It's been a long, hard road for us. And this past week, um, I, we, we didn't know that this would happen this past week. I was scheduled to speak uh, probably about a month ago. But this past week, I've, I've started declaring God's goodness. I've started taking authority over the enemy and where he steals and, and declaring his promises over my life in a more forceful way than I have before. Declaring it because I know this to be true. And we, we, for the first time in this past week, have actually received actual income. I know it sounds amazing that Jacques actually received actual income. I received income this week that we were able to pay our expenses, which, if I look back, has probably been the first time in about nine years that I haven't had to borrow money or sell assets in order to do those things. And so I'm experiencing breakthrough because of what I'm telling you this morning. So that's why I say what I'm saying this morning is real for me because it's starting to produce fruit in my life. Um, on Wednesday, we went out for a walk in Delta Park. And you know Delta Park is a large park. They've recently cut the grass. It's been growing forever. Um, and I shouldn't really be saying this. As I'm saying this, I'm realizing that we shouldn't be really be walking in the park. Um, so Lord, please forgive. Um, but we went for a long walk. We weren't the only ones, so it's okay if all of us do it. Um, and we went on a four-kilometer walk um, there and back. I had the car keys and the house keys in my pocket. And um, also the grass had grown really long, and they'd mow the grass, so there are hay bales and grass everywhere, like sometimes really thick. And when we got back to the car, I looked for the keys and I couldn't find them. And I must have dropped them somewhere along the journey. So I said to Shane and the kids, stay in the car. I'm going to go back and look. And I probably spent about two hours. I met some friends of mine and they joined in the search. And try as I might, I couldn't find those keys. So we managed to get the car towed home. This was our only set of car keys. We didn't have another one. Um, we managed to lose those about five years ago. And, uh, and that night, we, we just started declaring... We're going to find those keys tomorrow. We are going to find them uh, in the morning. And that night, Rachie, my youngest daughter, six-year-old daughter, she had a dream. Next morning, she woke up and she said, Mom, I dreamt that we found the keys. Okay, so Rachie, where were they? No, they were close to where the mole hills were, where Dad was throwing um, javelin. I, we found a stick and I was throwing, uh, throwing the, the, that stick like a javelin. And so the next morning, uh, we set out, the, the four, four of us set out, and Jenny Harvey, uh, Jenny Fonsell, and, uh, Jenny Fonsell joined us, and um, we, walked, 
we walked to the exact place where uh, Rachie said that um, the keys would be. Now, it wasn't on a park, so it wasn't, I mean, sorry, on a path. So we couldn't say it was this path because we cut across a field. We, it wasn't a path, so it wasn't easy to find. And we literally walked straight up. Jenny from Sale looked down, and there the keys were. And I'd like to suggest to you that there is so much that the Holy Spirit wants to show us. There's so much power that we have access to. There are so many incredible things that he wants to show us, and that he wants us to partner with him in bringing his kingdom to the earth. I've, I've of late started getting a lot more prophetic words for people. I've phoned up people that I haven't spoken to for a long time and given them prophetic words. And I really feel like I'm coming alive again. I feel like I belong. I feel like I have his authority and that I don't have to accept what circumstances throw at me. I don't have to plead with God to intervene because I'm too weak to take authority about that. And so in conclusion, I, I just want to say that I believe this is a season where if we will open our eyes and open our ears, we will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us and he's going to show us things that we did not know were possible. He is going to take us on journeys that are so far exceeding above anything that we could hope or imagine because that is our inheritance and that there is this incredible power that we have access to. But we need to change our lenses. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za.